Hello, this is Mike Burek, your host and producer of Kudenitsya, The Well, a podcast series about prominent Ukrainians around the globe. Today is December 20th, 2020. Our guest for this episode is Diana Hovansky-Riley, who is the press secretary for the Organization for the Defense of Lemkushchina and also on the board of the Lemko Research Foundation and its VP. Welcome, Diana. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for uh, coming on Kudenitsa today. My pleasure. So you and I have known each other for a while. And, you know, I guess we first met years ago uh, when your dad was running the uh, Lemko Vatra up in Ellenville. Mm-hmm. And you've done a lot in the past 10 years. And so I want to chat about that a little bit today. But before we get into that, uh, I'd like you to give our audience some background on yourself and your family. So where did your parents come from and when did they arrive in the U.S.? Sure. Um, Both of my parents were born in the Lemko region, which is current day southeastern Poland. And my dad was born in the village of Rzdynia, which is where the Lemko Vatra in Poland, or one of the Lemko Vatras in Poland, takes place um, every year. And my mother was born in the village of Smetakowiec. Um, so Smetakowiec and Rzdynia are pretty close to one another. Uh, and it just, my parents didn't know each other back in the Lemko region, although their families might have known of one another. Um, and it just so happens that each of their families came to the United States in the 1960s. Um, Stalin dies in 1953, and Gomułka comes into power in Poland in 1956. And basically, there's a period of liberalization where it was easier to to travel and, and to leave the country. And so both of my parents' families had distant relatives in the United States and, and came here in the early 1960s. And my parents met at a, a wedding here. And, and where did they settle in the U.S.? Um, my dad was in the Yonkers, New York area, and my mother was in Stanford, Connecticut. And can you tell us a little bit about your educational background? Um, sure. Uh, so I have a bachelor's in history from Columbia University, um, and then I went on to get a master's in international affairs from Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies, SICE for short. Then after my master's degree, I was fortunate enough to be awarded a a Fulbright scholarship. So I spent two years in Poland um, basically conducting oral histories of individuals who had been forcibly relocated in 1947 um, during what's known as Oxia Wisla, Operation Mistula, and I'm I'm happy to speak more about that. But after I came back from Poland, um, I worked for a little bit, and then I eventually went back to Columbia University to get a master's in journalism. And can you tell the audience, when did you first get involved with the Ukrainian-American and the Lemko-American communities? Um, Well, that's pretty much since birth. Um, (laughs) I I grew up in Yonkers, New York, since that's where my father was from and my parents settled. Um, And both my parents basically raised me in those communities. Um, My my father in particular was an extrovert and very active, you know, like you mentioned, the Lemko-Vatra in Ellenville. But um, I, I basically have tons of memories of growing up in Lemko Hall and Lemko Park and Yonkers. And, you know, in addition to kind of being part of this larger Ukrainian community through um, SUM, the Ukrainian youth group and, and Ukrainian school on Saturdays. 
so practically my entire family was Lemko. So if, if you've ever seen the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, I, I can definitely relate to that experience of being immersed in one's immigrant culture. And can you talk a little bit about your book, Scattered, the Forced Relocation of Poland's Ukrainians After World War II? It was published in 2013, which is a while ago. Uh, what is it about? Sure. Um, the book was published by University of Wisconsin Press, and it's basically about the period of history in Poland after World War II, where the communist government of Poland forcibly relocated the country's Ukrainian minority, first by means of a Soviet-Polish population exchange from 1944 to 1946, and then through um, Oksia Operation Vistula, which was a forced relocation campaign um, in 1947. But the way that I explain this history is through the real-life experiences of three siblings who lived through these events. And these siblings are basically my grandmother and her brother and her sister. Um, her older brother, Petro Perte, was relocated with his family to Soviet Ukraine in 1945. I mean, his family, meaning his wife and, and, and his in-laws. Um, and then my grandmother, Melania, and her sister, Hanya, remained in the Lemko region, um, but they were relocated to Western Poland in 1947. And what's been the reaction to your book in both the Ukrainian-American and the Lemko communities? Overall, the reaction's been very positive um, from these communities. On, on numerous occasions, people that I don't know will reach out to me through Facebook messages and they'll tell me that they were very touched by the book or even cried while reading it um, because their families went through the same thing. And, you know, based on this interest, the book was also published in into Ukrainian um, by Vira Velikoroda. She's the granddaughter of Petro Perte, so my second cousin. Um, so there is a Ukrainian version for those who are interested um, with the title Roskidani Dolly. I guess the only thing I'll add is the only negative reaction that I've heard um, to date is about the use of the word Ukrainians in the subtitle, which is the forced relocation of Poland's Ukrainians after World War II. Various members of the Rusin community have reached out to me saying that they feel it should be Ukrainians and Rusins. Um, and I, I understand their point, um, but I, I do explain in the beginning of the book that the term Ukrainians is used because regardless of how any of the Lemkos in the book personally identified themselves, whether Ukrainian or Rusin, the Polish government forcibly relocated them because the Polish government um, looped them in with the Ukrainian community and, and considered them part of that community. So that's the explanation for the title. And has there been any reaction outside of the Ukrainian American and Lemko communities? Yeah, um, it's received some minor awards and accolades, um, like it got the silver medal for, for, for world history from independent publisher book awards. Um, it was a finalist in a few other awards. And it's received positive reviews from publications like the Times Literary Supplement in the UK and the Midwest Book Review since it was published in Wisconsin. So you know, overall, I'm, I'm pleased by, by the, how it's been received. So switching gears a bit, I want to turn to uh, Organization for the Defense of Lemkushchina, OOL. I know you're setting some new directions with the magazine. And if you can give us some history on the background of the magazine, I know it's been around for a number of years in print. And I know you just came out with your first electronic edition. So why was this launched and what are some of its features? And if you can give us some background on when the magazine first came out in print. Sure. Um, the magazine came out in the late 1930s. Um, so, you know, at, at that time, your 
publication options were, were limited to written word, maybe TV or radio. And um, basically, I think OOL has tried to change with the time. You know, we have a Facebook page, an Instagram page. We've tried to kind of adapt to the use of social media. We, we basically recognize that most people these days get their information online. So we felt it was important to modernize and to make this new electronic version. Um, and you know, the benefits are that you can easily access it on your computer or your smartphone. Um, and it's, it's a more vibrant and dynamic publication now. Um, you can get links to relevant videos or other articles. So we feel that we've, we're just improving on what all of the past editors have done um, and, and really proud to be part of this new editorial board. And will the electronic edition be used to promote membership, and will it be based on subscription? The editorial board debated a great deal about this, and, and we continue to debate. I mean, do you give the publication only to members, or do you make it available to a wider audience? And um, after much discussion, we decided that it's really important to make this information as widely accessible as possible. So right now, when an edition comes out, it's accessible to everyone for free um, online. But we also wanted to make sure to give members some benefits. So what happens is when the next edition comes out, the previous one goes into an electronic archive that only members could access. So at this moment, we're trying to, to balance both of those groups. And talking about the Lemko Research Foundation, I know you're vice president on board with the Lemko Research Foundation. What have they been doing in the past couple of years, and, and where are they going in the future? Are there some new initiatives planned with it? You know, there are always a lot of ideas, but the difficult thing is finding the time to execute them, and there are only so many people who can devote that time. So right now, I think one of our main um, priorities is something that you and I, I know, have discussed in the past, which is translating um, Julian Tarnovich's um, illustrated history of Lemkiushina into English. I mean, the, the Ukrainian name is Illustrovana Historia Lemkiushina, but we recognize that more material is needed in English here in the United States. So um, that's that's on our the top of our priority list right now. Um, in, in the meantime, we're continuing to support the work of others. Like we've donated money to Evhen Misillo's research for his new book about the Yavozhna concentration camp, which is where individuals who are considered Ukrainian nationalists were imprisoned by the Polish communist government in 1947. And I mean, personally, I'm, I'm eagerly awaiting that book to come out in, you know, in the upcoming period of time. And I'd love for our foundation to eventually help translate that into English. And we're in the middle of discussing other important initiatives. Um, right now, OOL and the foundation are in the middle of figuring out how to set up a Lemco scholarship fund with a large donation that they recently received. So um, who would be eligible for it? You know, is it going to be OOL or the foundation that are running it? Um, but that's something that we're really excited about as well. How has the OOL dealt with the challenges to the organization brought on by the global pandemic? Well, it's hard because we're a membership-based organization. We have branches that meet regularly, and so a lot of those meetings have had to be put on hold. I mean, even now it's, it's the holiday season, and all of our branches have usually gone out Christmas caroling to the community, you know, and it's a, it's a great way to keep t in touch with our community and also fundraise, but we can't do that right now. So, you know, we've been making do like others have with virtual meetings on Zoom, um, which, you know, frankly is, is great because it allows people who can't make it to meetings all the time to participate more actively. So there's a, there's a bit of a silver lining.
And do you think the annual Vatra in Ellenville uh, will occur next year? We're hoping so. I mean, right now that's what we are, are planning, but obviously everything is um, depending on how things go over the next couple months and, and making sure that everybody's healthy and safe. So we'll see what happens. What do you think are the biggest challenges overall to the Lemco community in the U.S. and then on a worldwide basis? Well, I would say maybe the, both for the community here and worldwide, um, assimilation is probably the biggest one that I see at the moment. Um, I mean, my own family is an example. I married someone who's half Irish and half Puerto Rican, so it's very difficult to raise my kids speaking any other language except for English. Um, we try, um, but it's you know it's a constant daily struggle. And in general, because of this assimilation, you know whether it's here in the U.S. or you know in Poland or elsewhere, um, you know there are I think probably less people in younger generations who are um, aware and maybe interested in in doing work for organizations like OOL or the Foundation. That's why we've got a lot of ideas, but not enough time or people. But the good thing is that we have a core group of devoted members, and we do see interest in younger generations, you know, some people to learn more about LEMCO issues. So we're hopeful and, and we're always welcome for people to reach out to us with ideas. And, and, you know, you're a perfect example of that. I mean, a number of years ago, you came to us with the idea um, to do an art exhibit, and, and we accomplished that. So, you know, if you or others have any tips for us in the future, we are, are happy to hear them. Diana, unfortunately, we're out of time. But if our audience wants to learn more about OOL, where can they go online? Sure. We have a website, which is www.lemco-ool.com. There's also a Facebook page. So with that same name, you can find it. Those are probably the first two places. Um, and if you go to our OOL page, you can sign up to receive our electronic uh, publication. And you know, we'd be happy to send that to you via email. Great. Thanks so much, Diana. Thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I have been speaking with Diana Hovansky-Riley, who is the press secretary for the Organization for the Defense of Lemkushchina and also vice president of the Lemko Research Foundation. And this is Mike Burek, your host and producer of Kronitsya, The Well, a podcast series about prominent Ukrainians around the globe. Until next time, that's all for now.